right. Good morning, Mission. My name is Julian Mark, and you are listening to Listen Local. Uh, that was It Must Have Been Love uh, by Roxette. Uh, I heard it in uh, the Bagel Place this morning, and uh, I just needed to hear it again. Um, it is a lighthearted song for maybe a heavy episode. We have a lot to talk about, and uh, with me is uh, Eric Murphy, uh, reporting in turn with Mission Local. How are you doing this morning? Doing all right. Um, Eric, um, you have uh, been covering kind of an intense um, story, an eviction um, of a mother of five at Valencia Gardens, a, a public housing facility, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and um, I guess, um, you know, any time that, you know, there's the, you know, an eviction of, you know, um, you know a mother of um, five children, it's, it's, you know, questions, you know, sort of abound. Um What's going on? How did this, you know, you know, does, is this justified? You know, when, when did this begin? Um, how did, how did this all sort of go down? Yeah. So Chantel McClendon, um, she's been living at Valencia Garden for, uh, more than a decade. Um, she has five children there and in, uh, late 2017, she got served um, her her first eviction notice. And Valencia Gardens, you know, it's a public housing complex with a lot of folks who rely on SSI or mm-hmm. poor working families right, who right, live there. Right. Um, and the property management company, which is called the John Stewart Company. Well, let me sorry, let me let me just stop you there. And sure. I, I may have put you on the uh, wrong path. How did this come to a head? I mean, why are we talking about it now? What what actually, you know, how did this sort of happen? Um, and, you know, why why did it make it into the newspaper, um, you know, this last couple of weeks? Yeah, she's um, the, you know, her property management company has uh, sued to evict her. Okay, um, I see. Yeah, and so she has been on trial since last Thursday. Um, the, it's been, uh, the trial's been split into two parts. So right now, uh, the... There's a judge trial. She's, um, you know, just having the trial in front of the judge, and then he can decide whether she has the right to stay in her apartment or he can send it to a jury trial. I see. I see. And so, um, I guess now, now, what what is going on here? I mean, what is uh, what is going on with uh, McClendon? I mean, yeah. So she's gotten uh, seven eviction notices wow. since late 2017, wow. and has been sued uh, for eviction three times by her property management company since then. Basically, it's been a permanent state of housing limbo for her since uh, late 2017. Um, so, but what, I guess, why are they evicting her? So the there's been a variety of reasons for the different notices. Um, it began with um, asking for a payment of back rent. There's been issues um, that relate to parking parking in they call it a red zone there um there's been recertification paperwork issues and then the big issue which this trial is about for the most part is um an unauthorized occupant uh has been staying at the apartment which is the father of three of uh, miss mcclendon's children and uh he has been staying at the apartment since around 2016 Mm -hmm. uh and now the property management company is sort of enforcing their rule, which is guests are not allowed to stay more than 14 nights in a year. And he's been staying on a consistent basis. So it sounds like what is at issue here is um, not necessarily the, uh, you know, the, the late rent payments and uh, some of the other, uh, I guess you would call them smaller things that have been building up over the last couple years, um, but more more this one 
um, issue about the unauthorized guests, the, the father of the Yeah, I think I think that's the key issue, although in this complaint there were 32 different charges, um, you know, given in the complaint against McClendon. Um, some of those are a little bit more f- frivolous, like you say. Um, Ten of them related to um, alleging that there were other unauthorized occupants in addition to this guy, and the evidence for that was um, a single piece of mail that had arrived with somebody else's name on it. That was all they were able to produce. Yes, that was um, that was the only evidence they had that somebody was occupying the unit um, in for two other people that they alleged were unauthorized occupants. For Loveless, you know, it's a different story. So tell me, tell me a little bit about Chantel, her Chantel McClendon, right? Yes. What What do you know about her? Um, I know that, um, w- you know, when I when I spoke with her, I think she kind of feels that she's been targeted and mm-hmm. and harassed by the company, and so she's under a lot of stress. Um, mm-hmm. She's sort of. Um, trying to manage, you know, five kids all at one time. When I was interviewing her, she was sort of, you know, managing the house at the same time this as in her speaking home. to me at, in her oh, home. Okay, yep. wow. And um, yeah, she, I mean, of course, it's it's very hard to, to be a mother um, raising that number of kids when you are like... Um, you're just in a in a stressed financial situation, first of all, and then the pressure of not knowing whether you're going to have housing five, six months down the line on a consistent basis for almost two years. Um, it just takes it takes kind of a toll. So she's, um, you know, stressed and I think upset. And you could definitely see that come out um, in her testimony as well. Um, there were a few times where um, she was sort of struggling through, um, you know, being upset and um, having to, you know, take small breaks and stuff. Um, so uh, I, th- I think she's trying to deal with uh, with a lot right now. So, uh, you know, as I understand it, the uh, the, the father of, of uh, some of her children, uh, this this uh, guy Loveless, who was the unauthorized uh, guest at, um, you know, I guess supposedly the unauthorized guest at the apartment, um, he is, um, could you just explain a little bit about, you know, why they uh, are moving, you know, against him or, or why they are suspicious of him just once more? Yeah, um, they discovered uh, he had... Um, a- they did a criminal background check on him because he was applying to be a live-in aide I to see. help, uh-huh. uh, you know, his um, his partner, uh, McClendon. And when he applied to do that, they did a criminal background check. Mm-hmm. And um, they found out that he had um, some pending charges against him, which he pled no contest to other charges later. And he's currently... Uh, serving a two-year sentence in state prison uh, for a drug charge that he pled to. So that kind of raises the question, what is this about now? I mean, the man is, you know, obviously not coming back to the apartment mm-hmm. anytime in the near future. Uh, right. What is, I guess, I mean, what is discussed here? Why do they still want her out if he, um, you know, if he's gone? Yeah, it's um, it's very confusing because um, in the complaint, uh, all of the, you know, 32 sort of charges that uh-huh. they... Um, listed are all called something called it's quote non-curable which means it can't be fixed Uh uh Um, in this case the main charge is already fixed he's not living at the apartment anymore right he's in prison right now Uh uh-huh um so it's it's unclear why um they're 
continuing with you know the the process to kick her out um because the you know the problems they list have sort of been solved maybe against Chantel's wishes um but you know the the problems are cured you could say um i mean are these other violations i guess in your opinion you know having uh, all this back rent is this you know is this something that you know sort of matches the fervor with which the john stewart company is you know is going after the uh um the tenant yeah i think um on the back rent issue uh what chantelle testified to which i haven't confirmed this independently but what she testified to is mm-hmm. that it was an issue that affected the entire complex because they hadn't recalculated people's rent mm. and hadn't given her a rent statement about how much it would be. And so they charged several months of rent right. all at once. Right, right. Um, mm. And so it was a $3,400 bill when the highest her rent has ever been is a little over $700. Wow, wow. Um, and she had to pay that all at once. And so she got help from a charity called Hamilton Families okay. in order to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there... When she did that, the property management company also had some other issues with her tenancy at that time that they did not disclose to the charity because they said if the charity knew about these other issues, they wouldn't have helped with the payment because the purpose of the payment is to stabilize the housing. Wow, okay. And so when she paid the rent, uh, she paid the rent or Hamilton families paid the rent on a Monday and on Friday, she got served another eviction notice for a different reason. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just, it, it, it's never, from reading the stories, you know, it never becomes, you know, quite clear to me, um, you know, what their issue is with, with her. I mean, it seems like, you know, there are all these different things, but it, they, they seem to just want her out and they'll find almost anything to do that. Is that your sense? Uh, it definitely feels that way. Um, I think they they definitely do want uh, Rashid Loveless away from the premises. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they want her out as well. Um, I heard from her lawyer that um, as the trial was wrapping up, um, Mercedes Gavin, who's the lawyer for the property management company, said to basically not be surprised if there's another eviction notice for um, a problem that they found during the trial if there's another eviction notice served before the decision is even made. So even if, you know, this lawsuit is resolved in her favor, she might still be dealing with an eviction issue after that. I mean, this kind of raises the question of, you know, just what, um, I mean, obviously, do you know what she does for a living? Uh, Right now she's not working. She's not working. Okay. And how does she receive her money? Do we know how she, she receives, how she feeds herself? Yeah, she does get help from her mom. She also uh-huh. used to work at the CalFresh office, um, okay. and her rent is calculated based on her income. So when she's not working due to disability, um, she her rent is also reduced to zero. So and and her just her background kind of in, in getting into the housing was was she at some point homeless or was she I mean what was the uh, I mean what was her sort of story? Yeah, before she got into public housing, she actually um, she and her two children had to um, go to a shelter for a while, um, and then she was you know sort of able to apply. She got into public housing, and then she. Uh, transferred to Valencia Gardens uh, uh, around 14 years ago. 
Pardon me. Um, so, I mean, it kind of raises the question. I mean, a lot of, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't want to say, you know, a majority of the tenants at Valencia Gardens, you know, you know, are in precarious situations like this, but it certainly is a place where families who, you know, are kind of hanging on, um, you know, by not a lot, you know, seem to, you know, this is the kind of place that, you know, it seems to uh, help these kinds of families. And so, when somebody clearly is struggling, um, you know, to, uh, you know, w with their, you know, with their lives, maybe, you know, perhaps, you know, struggling to make their rent or, or do something else. It seems like there is very little, you know, kind of buffer between uh, the violations and then an eviction notice. Is that kind of what's 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 happening or? Yeah. And I, I think you ha kind of have to put yourself in the mindset of uh, somebody who lives there, which is, you know, if you get evicted from Valencia Gardens, you can't just move somewhere down Valencia Street, rent is going to be thousands of dollars more right, expensive. Right, right. And if you have an eviction on your record, you're banned from or you're suspended from uh, publicly subsidized housing. And it may be hard to get into other places with an eviction on your record. So you, you have to wonder where the family would go. And, um, you know, Chantel told me that she may have to consider going to a shelter again with five children um that and that's that's really the the alternative um yeah i i think that's i mean it seems like it seemed and do we know if there were any services kind of offered to her in the interim you know be, uh, pre uh, preceding the uh, the eviction uh, the eviction notice or the court proceedings um there valencia gardens offers um some general services but um there were there are sort of informal hearings to try to resolve the issues of the eviction notices mm -hmm. um for example uh during one of them uh the property management company during one of the hearings to try to resolve the unauthorized occupant issue mm -hmm. um management told uh loveless the unauthorized occupant that he could apply to be a live-in aid and that and that would solve the problem right right um unfortunately uh management said they were not aware of a rule that um for uh housing with this public subsidy uh a family member is not allowed to be a live-in aid and they they testified that they advised him to apply not knowing the their own rule basically um that would prevent him from doing that and that process is the way that they they found out about his uh you know criminal conviction um and his background yeah so i guess you were in court uh and just you know really quickly to wrap up i mean you were in court um uh earlier this week right mm -hmm. and um so where are things where do things stand now i mean yeah yeah so um the the trial portion is over um the lawyers have uh several weeks to prepare some briefs that's going to go into august and then the judge is going to make a decision from there that could you know resolve things in chantal's favor that could um you know go to a jury trial which would mean a lot more delays um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even if it's resolved in her favor, like I said, there may be another eviction notice coming. So um, I think in either direction, it's um, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty for her and her family. Still, though, I mean, just with the proceedings, she is right now allowed to stay and she cannot and, you know, a sheriff cannot while a trial is going on or while litigation is going on there is no way a sheriff can can actually take or remove her from the apartment right? that's correct she's staying in her home right now and and will be for a while and um and just just the last thing i mean how did she look you know in the uh 
in the uh, in the courtroom uh, the other day. Yeah, I mean, she she's definitely under uh, stress. She she's she was definitely I I don't know if combative is the right word, but she was um, you know she's fighting for her housing, so um, mm-hmm. she was uh, you could say little defiant maybe a little frustrated with especially the opposing attorneys questioning her and um sort of you know tense on the stand and yeah just somebody who is basically at risk of losing their home right sounds like yeah and having to be in a courthouse which is you know like the least fun place in the world yeah definitely can confirm that (laughs) (laughs) all right well we're we're gonna take a short break and um uh, when when we're back uh, we'll be uh, talking about davon han uh the young man who was um shot and killed uh, in the mission uh earlier this week um we'll be we'll be back Welcome back uh, to Listen Local. I'm Julian Mark. I'm here with Eric Murphy, and I believe uh, our Mission Local Managing Editor, Joe Eskenazi, is uh, on the line. Joe, are you there? I, I can hear you. Okay, good. We can hear you, too. Um, so, um, you know, earlier, I think it was on, um, it was last Monday, uh, July 8th, that 15-year-old Davon Hahn uh, was shot and killed uh, on 24th and Cap Street. Um, Hahn was a student of Lincoln High School and uh, considered... Um, in many ways, a rising star uh, in a gun violence prevention group, um, and generally a very good kid. Um, Joe, you know, you uh, we wrote we wrote a story about this, and in our initial sort of um, you know breaking of the of the um, of the shooting, um, uh, we used the we called Han a child in the headline, and I believe you wrote that headline. And I guess what was the reaction to that? Well. I have to imagine most people accept the fact that a 15 year old is a child because that's an irrefutable truth. But uh, a sad uh, and unignorable uh, subset of the population uh, felt hoodwinked by uh, clicking on a story. And it wasn't a quote unquote child. It was some 
it was just some black kid, you know, who obviously had it coming uh, because he was out in the middle of the night and he was involved in drugs and violence as, you know, and, as the under uh, the unsaid uh, implication was as black kids are. And, uh, you know, there was I think it crossed the line from veiled racism to just racism because there was a denial and a lot of people came up with with nifty bogus definitions of what a child is and isn't that nine years old is a child and 12 years old is an adolescent, etc. Right. Which is which is very tired. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, no child would be hanging out at, at 24th Street Bart, you know, at that hour or and, and this kind of this kind of thing. Right. Like yeah, they had all I these mean, criteria for what for what a child is. I mean, and also, as you know, uh, people referring to it as black on black crime when we have no idea who pulled the trigger, you know, uh, it's uh, or gang related, which everybody automatically assumes and knows to be true. Uh, the, guns are fairly ubiquitous in this society of ours. And so the only thing we know is that he's dead and everything else is, is, is an assumption someone's making. Uh, but people's responses said a lot more about them than they did about Davon Han, who you know, uh, there's just a genuine outpouring of grief uh, for this young man. And Dude. we don't know the circumstances of his death, but but there's nothing that could justify this. So so, so just to be clear, we, we don't we don't know, uh, you know, what you know, how it was that he may have, um, you know, how it was that he may have died. You know what the, the circumstances of the shooting, all the suspects are outstanding. I mean, do yeah, we do? Yeah. Do we know anything every, about that? Everything is we do not know. And and so people are, are kind of filling in their own assumptions uh, on this tabula rasa. And people's assumptions are, frankly, racist assumptions, you know, uh, based right. upon the fact that he's a black child that has uh, an unmistakably black name. <laughs> uh, yes, definitely. Um, so you, you know, in this, in, in sort of reporting and, and writing your, your column, which I believe was fabulously written and, you know, it was, it was very good, you know, it's very good instincts to, you know, to go down this line and to, you know, based on those comments, which were just absolutely horrifying, you know, you spoke to, um, UCSF, uh, USC, uh, excuse me, a USF, uh, political science professor, James Taylor, and he said something very interesting, um, uh, I thought it was a very striking quote, and he said, "There's no black innocence." What? What do you? What did he mean by that? Uh, I think that we saw it. It was almost on the nose in the comments that we got, and that's one of the reasons why I felt compelled to write the column was because I, I, you couldn't make up more representative comments of of what Professor Taylor was talking about. In that, the assumption was automatically that this child, who wasn't really a child. Right. Right. You know, a, a real child would be someone who looked like Jerry Mathers as the beaver. Um, right. That there, that he had somehow brought his own death about that, you know, that he was part and parcel of this larger phenomenon of black urban violence. And he became part of it just through the act of dying. That uh, that, as Professor Taylor said, that, that that being shot connected him to this violence and that, you know, that, you know, that you could kind of write off could kind of write off everything as you know um well that's not my problem you know that's 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 their problem and and where they're from are bad neighborhoods and so they are bringing their bad neighborhood problems to my neighborhood and also i mean on top of the racial assumptions a lot of people were were talking about uh how it would be like a death sentence to wander around the mission at midnight which is of course nonsense the violent crime rates in san francisco are lower than they've been in decades uh, and, and are a fraction of what they were in the 1970s and 80s when people like me were wandering around. Uh, and, you know, you could actually say that it was ill-advised back then. Right. And I, and I believe the last I believe the last shooting death, you know, in the mission, um, you know, just, you know, a random shooting death. It, you know, it happened. 
months, if not many, many months, you know, before before this one. And, it, and, you, know, and yeah. you know, if we're going to look at it statistically, Davon Hahn is the is the first child killed in San Francisco in 2019. And there was one child killed in San Francisco in all of 2018. And that doesn't mean like, oh, it's great. It's acceptable. But but it means that we're not in the midst of a crime wave. Right. Uh, far from it. And, right. you know, people, you know, this fear and this racially tinged fear right. is <laughs> is what got Donald Trump elected. But right. if you look at the actual statistics, you know, America is safer than it has been. Even though even though crime statistics did dip worse in in recent years, they're still a fraction of what they were right. in the 70s and 80s. Uh, New York City and San Francisco in the 70s is an unimaginable place <laughs> for a current day person. Right, right. And so, you know, did uh, what I mean, what else, you know, in your conversation, you know, with uh, with Professor Taylor, you know, stood out to you? Uh, well, Professor Taylor, I thought, uh, address the personal anguish and 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 the academic uh, studiousness uh, of, of what has frankly become you know uh, a ritual and a phenomenon of blaming these these young men for their own debts and their own demise and and I feel bad about it because it takes away from all the individual qualities that Devon Han had which is why I'm glad that Annie Berman wrote uh, a really moving tribute to him that you know through the eyes of his friends right and and again even if he made a mistake which we have no idea if he did it should not be the totality of his public existence. It's just a real shame. And and I want to also say that some of the people, at least one person who left an insensitive comment, uh, apologized to me privately oh. and asked me to take it down. And I did because there's a room for learning here right. uh, in that in that when I responded to her that, you know, I, I I'm if I if my own boy died at 15, I could be glad knowing that you don't think he's a child. And and that kind of hit it home to her that this was, you know, this this boy had people that he left behind that that uh, are grieving for him. They're grieving for a child who was killed. Right. And right. and people need to take a step back and think about that. Yes, I think be yes, definitely. Um I mean even yes, uh definitely. Thank you Joe for uh for pointing that out for us. Um we are actually nearing the end of our show, but thank you for for joining us uh by phone. Uh, I'll see you later today and Eric. Uh, you you absolutely will. And and thanks for <laughs> thanks for having the show. I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person. Oh no, it's okay. And Eric, thank you so much for for uh for being with us. Thank you for having me.